Okay, well, we're here live from the IFCA convention with Dr. Alexander Granados. And as we get into our conversation today, perhaps it would be helpful for our listeners just to hear some of your background, uh, how you came to know the Lord, how you went from uh, where, where you were born and raised to being involved in some IFCA type circles and eventually to Masters University and your role there before we get to Calvary. You want to just share some of that biographical information with us? Well, thank you. It's a joy to be able to spend this time with you. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a blessed man. Uh, I was born uh, in Bogota, Colombia, in South America, and I came to the United States when I was 10 years old. Um, I grew up in the Los Angeles area went to you know through high school and it was in high school where uh, i actually met a friend who uh, introduced me to uh, to church to grace community church uh, i had spent some years searching uh, primarily questioning my own belief and believe in having been raised catholic and um, i started to read the bible uh, i was becoming more and more convinced that what i read obviously it wasn't what was taught to us in mass and i was just the more questions that I had about what the Bible taught, what it said, um, I remember the priest telling me that the that the the precious and mysterious things of the Word of God could not be discerned by the simple minds. Which, as a 15-year-old, I just said, I think he just called me dumb, <laughs> and that I cannot understand what the Bible says. But that just kind of costed me. I really want to know what does the Bible actually then really say? And somebody's got to be able to explain it to me. So when my friend invited me to go to church and I sat through church and I, I, I listened to uh, Dr. John MacArthur who was preaching, I was just amazed. There is someone that actually does open the Bible, actually doesn't just read a passage and then talk about politics and who knows what else they talked about they actually talked about the Bible and explained it. So I was just so hungry for that. And that's in many ways how I started to be confronted by my own sin, my need of a savior, uh, and then recognizing uh, my estate as one who uh, in his sin was separated from God in need of that work of redemption. Uh, And by God's grace and mercy, I recognize him as as the one who was the redeemer of of my soul Uh, and so coming to faith and then in many ways growing up at grace community church with unbelieving parents i went on to ucla uh, to study economics and political science but at the same time as i was going through that the lord was working in my own mind and my own heart to not pursue a life of, of business and and law and politics but really to do what I do today, and that is believing he was calling me into Christian higher education. So I needed, after I learned how to politic and handle money uh, at, at UCLA, I needed to go and get biblical theological education. So I was blessed that Master Seminary happened to be right there on the campus of Grace Community Church, and in that sense was a logical place for me to go to school. It allowed me to live with my parents, which I had a burden to share the gospel uh, with them. So even through seminary, as I was studying, uh, my my Master's of Divinity and then a a um, Master's of, of Theology and Systematic Theology, my mother, by God's grace, did also come to know him. Uh, but that's kind of how I started 
um, being involved in, in church ministry when I got my, my education. I also believe that I to eventually be in administration and a president of a Christian university, I needed to also learn something about education. So I went to Biola University and that's where I earned my, my PhD in intercultural education. So through all of that, that process, I had been involved not only at Grace Community Church, but then served in other churches who historically have either been uh, IFC churches or the pastors were IFCMN. So I would help um, to host some of the regional, some of the events, and would get to, to meet. And, you know, when you're young, uh, you end up being the chauffeur to a lot of, uh, a lot of very important, uh, well-known people. Uh, and I think that's, that's the joy as a young man of driving some of these giants of the faith. Uh, and uh, when you're in L.A. traffic, you have a lot of time <laughs> to talk to them and learn a lot of theology in a three-hour so-called drive. Well, I remember one time Dr. MacArthur introduced me to D.A. Carson, and he, I wasn't quite finished with my doctorate, but uh, he introduced me as Dr. Granados, and I, and I said, well, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's almost... <laughs> Almost, doctor. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you would get to listen to them come and preach and teach. Um, you know, uh, we we just would see so many wonderful people come and preach at the church, preach in the in the, in the seminary, um, reading their books and just growing and ferocious. Uh, I mean, I just wanted to know the Word of God. I, I, I wanted to be able to, to just know it, to be able to exegete it. I wanted to see someone who had been involved in the world of economics and politics and the business world. I just saw the need for people to really know how to handle the Word of Truth. So um, kind of growing up in that context, being very much involved with, with a lot of people who are IFCA um, um, pastors and and even from different academic institutions. So that was a great great blessing to, to be a part of that. So when um, when I was blessed with the opportunity to come and become a, a member of the staff and faculty at, at the Masters uh, University, um, that was that was amazing. Amazing to be able to start doing that and to teach in the biblical studies department and to teach in the um, business department as well because of, of my background. To be involved in student life and to enjoy that, to enjoy the the great uh, young men and women who would come and play sports. Uh, I really fell in love with all of academic life and and I learned so much from all those different areas. So it was at, at Masters University where I really grew and matured as a, as a professor, as someone who had worked in student life and just a, a lover of God and a lover of people. Um, but you love them by being someone who can, with great passion, with great accuracy, communicates the truth of the Word of God. So, uh, what, what was the process that led you directly to now Calvary University? Well, you know, through the years you... you um, you get to know a lot of different schools, a lot of different ministries. Um, I think that one of the concerns that I have about Christian higher education is that we have fewer and fewer schools that are biblically staying true, uh, that are absolutely committed to the inerrancy of scripture, that are committed to um, a, a harmonic, a grammatical, historical, literary methodology of biblical interpretation. Um, 
So when you consider the schools that are left, um, praise the Lord, Calvary is absolutely one of them. Uh, so the, when you're contacted and asked if you are interested in considering um, entering the process, uh, so I was just contacted by 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 the board and and said, would I be interested in 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 well be, having the conversation and, and potentially applying? But it's a school that I've known. Uh, I've I've known you know uh, men who had come out of Calvary and had gone over to the West Coast. Um, some of my students, when I was a professor, uh, their parents or grandparents were somehow related to, to, to Calvary. And again, Calvary, a historic IFCA institution, so that's how, also how I knew about Calvary. And, um, you know, when, when you are a young man, let's say in your 20s, and you're praying to the Lord that the things that you believe He's calling you to do, and people are beginning to affirm those things in you, and then here you are, president of Calvary University. Um, that is an amazing honor and privilege. It is very humbling because all those things um, God is affirming in you through God's people affirming that also in you. Uh, and that's kind of how I came. Just, you know, you get a phone call, you say, would you be interested? We're looking for a president. And uh, you kind of pinch yourself and uh, you look yourself in the mirror and you can't believe that's that would be you. But in the sense... Uh, you know the calling, you know the gifting that God has given you. People are affirming that, and you go through the process, and then here you are. You you get called to be the president. So, and we're we're in a unique moment in our nation's history right now, where there's a lot of a lot of pressures from. You mentioned you mentioned uh, there's very few schools that are holding the line on biblical hermeneutics and and these sorts of things. Well, there's also pressures from the world right now upon mm -hmm. the church upon institutions in regard to you know social justice issues and things of that nature just I think it was yesterday here at the convention you were on the panel the social mm -hmm. uh, social justice panel just how to discussing how do we how do we deal with these a lot of with all the different pressures and things that are coming from the government from just culture how do you see just navigating through those things as an institution of higher education when there just seems to be increasingly opposition and attacks against not just Christianity but then the institutions that are seeking to provide the next generation of leaders for the church? Well, I think that what we have seen in the last several years is the importance as to weak churches make for weak academic institutions and weak academic institutions only make for weaker churches. What I'm constantly amazed about is the actual illiteracy biblical illiteracy churches and, and church members that are biblically anemic so when you when you kind of create at times a, a a church culture where you have a a a, a 25 kind of 30 minute sermon which you might be able to communicate a lot of things through that time but it's hard to find people that would just open up the text of Scripture and just begin to faithfully teach through the Word of God. You began to see people that are driven by kind of topical messages. So what you create is a lot of little, little caveats that you give people, but never a holistic, proper understanding of the whole counsel of God from the Old to the New Testament. So they kind of know stories, 
but they don't know the grand story. They don't know it all. There's so many gaps in their biblical knowledge. There's so many gaps in their theology. And it's almost like we approach it like, here, take these two verses and call me in the morning. But you're not providing a holistic approach to genuine spiritual growth, maturation, soul care. It's just piecemeal. So when you see that, and now we have to face the great issues that are out there pressuring us to conform to the things of this world, what you see is the people of God haven't invested in the process of transformation by the renewing of their minds. They are very passionate about things that they're very ignorant about. They don't know the Word of God well. You know, little one-liners and cliches and little cartoons or whatever it is doesn't actually help you to get through the day. The Word of God, the, the Spirit of God working in you, the body of Christ connected to a solid biblical teach, Bible teaching, Christ-centered ministry. That's why we're in such a mess. The other thing is that we did have a period in our country, in our cultures, where many of our churches left uh, communities and went out into suburbia, and we created our suburban utopias. That even happened with a lot of our historic institutions. When we used to be in the downtowns or in certain communities, we kind of fled out to the suburbs. Now it's very challenging for us to come back into certain communities when we kind of had that flight and now to come back and to engage. Sometimes even our own theological views and perspectives, and I've seen many dispensationalists that were almost kind of waiting for the sweet mothership of the rapture to take us, and it's almost like they just got tired of doing good and living out a faithful witness and testimony, fulfilling the Great Commission and living out the Great Commandment. Uh, that's what has actually created quite a bit of, I think, chaos. Uh, schools that change their idea of being confessional, um, discipling believers to go and make an impact for the cause of Christ. Now they succumb to uh, allowing unbelievers. They believe now we're going to be evangelistic, so we're going to open up our enrollment. We're going to try to somehow manage and control maybe 10% unbelievers that we will allow into the schools. It just completely radically changes the academic institutions. Then when they come to the schools from our churches, they'll go back, if they go back to the church, they'll run havoc through the church. But a lot of them don't even come back to church. Um, that's a lot of kind of what I see has been the issue. And boy, there's a lot of uninformed, unbiblical opinions uh, that are posted online that are quite interesting, not very biblical. Now, before we get into a more uh, theological question that I'll let Ken ask, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, um, with your business background, mm -hmm. what has, have you found in the Christian college or Christian university world that has overlap with the business world and the principles that you learned, um, you said you went to UCLA. Mm -hmm. uh, what, the principles that are there that um, that overlap in a good way, ways that you can apply perhaps some business philosophy or business principles, and ways that you can't. What are the limitations of that? If there's a quick note that you could share on that. Well, you know, when I when I was studying business, 
um, economics, political science. One of the things that I, I, I thought was, was fascinating is I would read in textbooks or I would listen to, to lectures and go to, to special lectures that would be given uh, by professors. And it's almost like there are biblical principles that would be taught. So I would say it's almost like to give you the skeleton. They just remove all of the vital organs, all the muscles, all of that, and would almost like erase the actual verses that would make support that actual principle. So now as I would read and study the Word of God, I'm like, well, that's where they get it from. They just won't quote the passage. And then they'll, they'll say that, but they'll take it out of context. So what I see many times in what I do today is that I do see in the scripture those, those principles. I think the struggle also many times in understanding how to lead our, our Christian institutions is that in the Christian higher education in America, you need to understand, of course, yes, the Bible. That's what I said. I wanted to go and I went to master's seminary. I wanted to be at, a, at an institution that taught the word of God. I needed to know it, be able to exegete it and faithfully proclaim it. So you need to have that if you're going to be involved in Christian higher education. I wanted to understand education and education and how people of different cultures also learn. And that's why my PhD in intercultural education is very helpful. If you're going to be in education, you should know something about education theory and understand that. Well, in a, a university, is has a business side to it. So you're going to have to know and understand contracts. You're going to have to understand contracts on how to deal with staff and how to deal with your faculty. You're going to need to understand contracts with vendors and, and all those things. So there's a lot of business principles and things that you just have to do because there is a business side to the actual university. Right? You have to know and understand, uh, for example, as a university, if you have a, the, the college side of it, the undergraduate education, you have graduate education and seminary, you almost have three different business units. So you have to understand the different market segmentations, right? Your undergraduate student population is different than your graduate and then your seminary, how you're going to recruit them, the cost structure. Right? What you charge them, what you have to pay in regards to that. There's a lot of business, actual know-how and sense you have to know to be able to be effective in, in all those areas. How do we plan? How do we strategize? How are we doing all these things? I think the major factor is that in the world you're always trying to suppress the truth and unrighteousness and keep God out. For us as a Christian university, God is actually at the center and the focus of that. And the word of God is what guides and instructs us. So we have to run everything through that biblical worldview, that biblical lens. And the reality is, is that we also have to make sure that this is God's mission and agenda. This is, we exist as a university to come alongside of the local church and serve the local church. If we understand from Matthew 9, 37 and 38, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We understand that therefore there is a mission that we have. There's something that must be accomplished. Now, how do we best prepare those labors for that harvest? Yes. For that, it takes resources to be able to do that. 
I need to know how to hire the faculty. I need to keep also quality control. How do I keep my faculty to student ratio? Believing that the distinctive of Christian higher education is genuine discipleship and life on life. That's why I want to keep the faculty ratio right to student very low so that we can properly do the discipleship that we so value and think is a distinctive of who we are. That also means you have to do a cost and benefit analysis. You have to grow, do growth and capacity. How do we make a lot of decisions? All those are business driven that if you don't understand those concepts, you don't know how that works, it's very challenging to lead our Christian institutions if you don't know that. Last question for you today, and uh, just want to provide a little bit of context for for anybody listening, I suppose. But uh, our whole podcast is based around this idea that there are some theological matters that are of primary importance that define Christianity. To step outside the bounds of of what is primary is to leave orthodox Christianity. Mm-hmm. And then there are other matters of theology that are still important but are of a secondary importance where there's there can be disagreements between brothers and sisters in Christ on these matters. And we're still brothers and sisters in Christ, mm-hmm. right? And so we are called as believers to have grace in how we interact mm-hmm. with each other on those issues. And during our time at Calvary, um, we felt there was a, a lot of good and healthy balance around one of the issues that has a potential to be controversial and have a, have mm-hmm. a potential to cause conflict. That's the... Lordship versus free grace conversation. We during our time there, we thought there was a lot of healthy balance there, and for a while, uh, we were concerned a little bit about some of the direction that Calvary went in the mm-hmm. very strong uh, free grace direction, where we felt that maybe some of the balance was beginning to get tilted too far one direction. Mm-hmm. So we thought maybe you could, if you could address maybe your thoughts on that about you know, the need yeah. for balance in these areas and how to have these kinds of conversations with our brothers and sisters in Christ mm-hmm. while still affirming, hey, we, as long as we're on the same page with those primary issues and we're affirming the same gospel, how we can have these conversations with Yeah, I, you know, when gr- growing up, um, you know, again, I went to my local pagan U, right, for, for, for my, my undergraduate studies. What was interesting, I, I mean, it has so radically changed. You know, even when we would be in a debate team or something, it was always about addressing the issues, not attacking the person. Uh, and, and even I see in Christianity, we've lost that, 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 that we are actually so mean-spirited. And we're almost practical, you know, cannibals that will eat and devour one another. But I do think that sometimes historically some of those theological issues and discussions, we have to put them within the historical context and perhaps why one side tilts so much to this side and then the other one tilts so much to this side. And then there are those of us who are going, well, historically, for example, Calvary took a balanced view and perspective. Growing up in uh, around IFCA men and within our own IFCA organization, uh, we actually came out with a statement on the nature of true saving faith, which we believe was really the best way to talk about the issue, right? What does it actually mean when someone comes to actual saving faith? And what is the issue? And then it kind of went to, well, those who believe in the more free grace and then those who would say there would be lordship. And we go, no, let's talk about biblically the passages and have a biblical balance approach to that. So I was 
taught by Dr. Um, Robert Thomas at the Master's Seminary, who was one of the uh, co-scholar and authors with Dr. Madison from Calvary University, who actually came out with a statement that would be an official statement by the IFCA on the true nature of saving faith, historically where Calvary has been, and then probably what probably the three of us would feel very comfortable historically, that's where we believe actually scripture teaches that. Um, and sometimes this issue is almost like, which side of the fence are you trying to talk to? Um, and sometimes I also believe that people will pick a camp and then want to defend and fight for it. Just like sports. Just like team. sports, you know. Yeah, I mean, my, you know, my aunts and my uncles and myself, we picked our soccer team because Grandpa said you either root for Santa Fe or you get out of my house. Yeah, that's right. Right? And you chose not to be homeless, <laughs> and that's the soccer team you root for, right? Not because you really – just familial love or whatever it was. It's not that you actually, again, made an actual maybe choice for that. Um, so sometimes it's – can we sit down and actually look at scripture? Can we talk about it? And sometimes in a balanced perspective, you know, whether someone would, would say, okay, you almost have to do all of these things to truly be born again, to truly then be saved. And it's almost then, okay, if you talk it about it that way, it can seem like, well, it's not just a simple that I ex recognize my sin and accepted Jesus, that now it's like you have to do certain things. Well, the other side is, well, you almost can. I'm safe today. I'm I'm lost tomorrow, right? Or or this or that, and it's just. But what does? Let's go back. What does the Bible actually say? And that's where I think Calvary historically has been. Let's be biblically balanced and accurate as to what actually clearly does it say, and what it doesn't say. Yeah, when we were talking before we started recording, what you said about fruit, I thought that was mm. a good phrase about not being a fruit inspector can you just reiterate yeah I, I mean I think that you know what what at times we struggle with is that um, when someone does come to to faith um, there's a lot of factors as to how they're going to grow and how fast they could grow now on this side being a pastor now for many many years I, I've seen people who have come to saving faith they absolutely are ferocious learners of the word they are not just the hearers but they are the doers right and as jim says as now as the doers of the word you begin to see a lot of growth and they're showing and demonstrating a lot of fruit right they're busy doing good works and they can be three five years in the lord and my goodness they they have read and are just devouring this book then i've seen people who have been in the church for 30 years and they're still about this deep why because they just sit there and they hear and they're not actively in that sense cultivating in their own minds and in their own hearts a spiritual growth and maturation so sometimes what does it look like for someone who's very immature in their faith or someone who might not actually have the faith but i do say that the trajectory of someone's life as they come to saving faith is to begin to now understand that I live my life. I don't do works to save me. I do works because I have been saved. And I do those good works. And in that sense, 
as I'm involved in a community of believers, as they begin to speak truth and life into, into my life, as they're helping me to grow and mature. I also like to say I start to do hand-to-hand comeback with sin. I'm growing, I'm maturing. I begin to bear the fruit, so I shouldn't have to come and let me see if there's any fruit there. I should be able to pull up to the fruit stand of your life and enjoy the fruit of your life rather than being a fruit inspector. Um, but we've lost that of the discipleship, the growth, and the maturation. It's almost like glad you, quote, accepted Jesus, and now there's nothing else for you to do. So that easy and almost believism and like it was... You know, you can tell your wife you loved her at the altar and now you go live your own life the way you want to do it. It's like, why would you want to make that sense, that commitment and not want to be committed? It's like, I would also say to students, we then we treat salvation like it's just a get out of hell free card. I avoided hell, but now I'm still going to live my life in the flesh. I'm still going to go do whatever I want then you really don't understand what it generally means to be a follower of Christ. Now, I know Ken said the last question was the last question, but (laughs) if I can piggyback and make this Mm -hmm. the last question. To me, where the rubber meets the road with all this is in the counseling department and how you go about counseling. So if someone was considering Calvary University, what kind of counseling education should they expect to get there? How, How should they expect to be trained to counsel people from Calvary's perspective? Um, we absolutely are committed to biblical counseling. Look, we, we are not confused about where power and authority comes from. It comes from the Word of God. That, that, that is, the reality is, is the Word of God who will, is our guide for actual life and for truth and godliness. How is it that we help people to do that? But I think that when we start talking about okay, the, the, the counseling uh, people and creating an academic program at a university or a seminary to help people to understand how to deal with those issues. I also do believe that some of the struggles in, in, the, in the counseling is demonstrates at times a lack of proper discipleship that is done from that moment of you actually coming to saving faith. So sometimes is we end up in counseling because that's more of the treatment side rather than the, I would say, the preventive uh, care, soul care that we need to provide for people. Now, granted, once they come into our door and, and they're, they're struggling with, with life, sometimes in counseling you'll find people that they're not they're not saved they don't know christ so you need to actually open the word and the truth of the word of god to call them to actual saving faith you have to call them to that um before they can actually now i mean or else you're just casting your pearls among the swine so um a a lot of that is how do we communicate now biblical truth to you that maybe you will actually begin to truly understand come to saving faith other than that, it almost ends up being behavioral modification. You're giving some nuggets of truth that they'll try to do some things, but it's still in the flesh. It's not being spirit-led. So sometimes it's just basic evangelism. But now, still, the authority comes from this. Not some therapeutic technique or anything like that. We have to be absolutely anchored in the Word of God. Now, how do we look at other situations that's, I think, also the growth and maturation of biblical counseling, that we also understand the, 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 the physical, physiological aspects of, of, of people uh, and how do we provide a more holistic, actual care. 
But no, Calvary is absolutely unwavering in its commitment to the authority of Scripture. Dr. Gossett, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a delight to have you on here. And for anybody listening, uh, calvary.edu, check us out. So, Well, thank you for the opportunity to spend this time with you. And uh, as a brother in Christ, may the Lord continue to bless you and strengthen you in your ministries as your humble president. Um, and you continue to make the Lord uh, one whose uh, the sweet aroma of your life is pleasing to him. And for you, Alma Mater, may you continue to serve with great distinction and, uh, and in that sense, hold a banner of Calvary High. So thank you for your time. Appreciate it.